1: So it's like a good time for me to chill off from getting shot at, um, (laughs) from getting arrested and from uh, getting malaria. So I just needed, I needed a, a break.
0: Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where explorers and adventurers tell their stories. I'm John Horsfall and on this weekly podcast, I talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years from Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders, and many more. But what is left for the modern adventurers and explorers in the 21st century? Well, let's find out. My next guest is an eco adventurer and on a 7,500 mile trek across the entire length of the African continent, traveling on foot from Cape town to Cairo through South Africa, Mozambique, Malawi, Kenya, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Egypt. He sought to understand the lives of the African people better, sleeping where they slept, eating where they ate, living side by side. On today's show, he talks in depth about this incredible journey. And so I am delighted to introduce Mario Rigby to the podcast.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on the show, John. Appreciate it.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been meaning to get you on for so long and you know, your story is incredible from sort of how you started and your first big adventure to what you're doing now for the people at home who don't know who you are. I always like to start at the beginning and who you are and sort of how you got started into this sort of world of adventure that you do now.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I mean. I'm an eco-explorer. So what that means to me is essentially I go on um, expeditions, like a classical explorer, whether it's, um, you know, I'm joining a research team or doing it to advocate for uh, climate change or social injustices. So I typically go on expeditions that kind of bring light to those kinds of situations. And, um, you know, also trying to promote like a sustainable uh, way of traveling, whether that's like ecotourism or trying to promote ecotourism or eco-adventure um, travels. And um, that's kind of what my platform is all about and what I'm all about. Uh, my claim to fame really is uh, my walk across Africa, which was um, a two and a half year voyage from Cape Town to Cairo. And it was in di- it was done entirely by foot and um 550 kilometers was done about, you know, in Malawi by kayak. So that's kind of how everything really started was my track um, walking along the length of Africa.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's an absolutely incredible story that you have to tell and we'll sort of jump into that, but probably for people who don't know you, you're sort of your sort of upbringing was sort of moving around, uh, from, you know, Germany, Canada, uh, Turks and Caicos, is that how you mm-hmm. pronounce it? Yeah. Turks and, and Turks and Caicos. And that did that sort of moving around, discovering different places, different cultures. Was that sort of how your love of adventures sort of how it sort of came about?
1: I mean, absolutely. I, you know, when I was a kid in Germany. We used to go out on these like nature walks and nature playgrounds. It was very popular. Um, it was my upbringing. So my first language and kind of my first real cultural experience is German. And, um, you know, and, and Germans do like to, to go in the outdoors quite a lot. Um, and then when we moved to the Turks and Caicos Islands, my brother and my mom and my stepfather, we, you know, we, we were kind of, um, we were a bit different than the rest of the folks on the island because I didn't really speak any English and I'm just like island, it look like an island boy who speaks German. And so me and my brother, what we would do is we would, um, you know, we would get together and, and go on these like, these these massive hikes every single day. Like we would just go in the bush and we would just forage and, you know, eat all the, the, the local fruits and we would go fishing, we eat the fresh fish and we would like kind of grill our food right there on the spot. And so the land became our playground. And so, th- you know, that's kind of where my, my love or my comfort for the outdoors really began.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause it's, it's an incredible sort of story, uh, sort of moving around. And as you say, that sort of love of different places, um, what was the sort of your big trip, Africa, how did that sort of come about? Because it's an enormous undertaking that you took and that was your first big one. You didn't go start small. You just went really big straight at the start. So, I mean, what was the sort of planning and the sort of beginnings of that?
1: So I began planning this about nine months prior to going to Africa. And you know, when I first started about it, I pretty much hit. A, um, a kind of crisis in my life where I thought to myself like, you know, what am I doing with my life? And if I keep going in this direction, I'm going to be trapped here forever. So, you know, I have two places to go. I can either continue doing this and be dead inside, or I can decide to choose life. And, um you know, by me choosing life, I started to look at my childhood and what really inspired me. And, you know, there's a show, The Black Panther, in which Um, T'Challa before he became the king of Wakanda, he decided to go on this walkabout, which wasn't shown in the movie. But, you know, there was that TV show back in the day, it was a cartoon TV show that was very unpopular. And, you know, it was one of the only black superheroes that existed. So me and my brother would watch this um, religiously. And um, there is this episode in which where T'Challa decided to go on this walkabout around uh, Africa to, to learn about the culture, his people and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that really inspired me. That was in the back of my mind, pretty much, you know, throughout my adult life, but I never saw that as something being viable or real until I went through this crisis where I had to decide two paths in my life and I decided to go on the path of life.
0: That's amazing. And the sort of before before that, what were you doing?
1: <laughs> so I was um, a fitness instructor and a personal trainer. I actually have my own studio um, downtown Toronto, and i would I would basically um, program these these really large um, boot camps for people as well. so it was like these hardcore kind of boot camps in uh, training people and you know that came from because of my love for for track and field, and I transitioned from track and field, and I wanted to stay in fitness. I wanted to stay in something that that kept me fit, and I can help other people um, achieve their fitness goals. And so I decided to go into this um, into this uh, fitness life that I led.
0: Oh wow! And so you're a you decide to fly to Cape Town. You've uh, <laughs> been planning this for nine months, and you sort of land. You've got, do you know, did you know how long it was going to take you or was there no sort of time constraint on it? You wanted to experience every moment and didn't matter how long it took.
1: Well, so before I went to to Cape town, um, I actually did a couple of practice runs. So I walked from one city to the next and you know, that city was about uh, 75 kilometers apart, uh, sorry, uh, 35 kilometers apart in Hamilton from Toronto to Hamilton. And that took me, um, about 14 hours to walk. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was wearing Converse shoes. Like it was just really bad. And, um, uh, a couple of months leading up to, to, to the, uh, crossing Africa expedition, I was invited by my friend to, you know, well, she challenged me. She said, Hey, why don't you train? Um, cause she's a, um, as uh, a speed walking coach and she does like super long endurance, uh, speed walks. And she said, listen, why don't you do a walk with me from Toronto to Montreal, which is, you know, 500 plus kilometers took me 14 days. And, um, I'll train you with everything that you need to know. And so we did a lot of overtraining in terms of like, you know, walking 50 kilometers, 40 plus kilometers, like we're talking massive days that took like 20 hours sometimes, and um, I needed that in order to to survive some of the harsher conditions in in um, in Eastern Africa, um, because you know you don't want to be distracted by by walking when you're distracted by so many other things. And um, I remember just a couple of months before Africa, you know, a lot of people started to realize like now this is becoming real because this guy's training for it. He's advertising for it. They put me on, um, on the news, uh, in the local news. So I was like, all right, no, absolutely must, must, must do this. And, um, my mom bought me a ticket and she said, this is your birthday ticket. So on my uh, 30th birthday, I flew down to, to, uh, Cape town.
0: And what was the feelings going through your mind when you sort of landed just about to sort of prepare for this huge adventure.
1: Oh, it was so real. It was really, um, another experience. Like, first of all, I've always, my entire life, I've always wanted to go to Africa, experience Africa. And now that I get to do like, you know, this kind of crazy exploration in this, on this continent was, I was like, it was beyond my wildest dreams. So I was, of course, nervous, scared, excited. I felt all the feels that you could possibly feel. Um, but I remember when I landed and we went to uh, the person who picked me up in Cape Town. We drove to, um, you know, like just this this bar in like the central area. And I remember feeling the sensation of like, I absolutely belong here. This is everything makes sense. It's like, this is where I'm supposed to be.
0: And then from that bar after being dropped off, you had probably what your backpack (laughs) and supplies enough money for the the two years, or was it sort of enough just to get sort of buying or sort of like by the end sort of scraping, what was the sort of plan in that respect? Because I sort of heard that none of which is, I think a really good thing, especially on like your first one is probably like you, uh, when I, my first big one, it was like, you try and get sponsored. No one's ever heard of you. No one thinks you can do it. So they will just pawn you off and just say, oh, yeah, maybe when you come back, let's, we'll hear about it. But other, and you just had no sponsorship for this big, big undertaking.
1: That's yeah, that's absolutely right. I had no sponsorship. Um, in fact, I didn't really want sponsorship. I wanted to see if I was able to. To execute this on my own, um, and, you know, I was able to do that in a way that I was able to tell stories that I know that I wouldn't have been able to tell had I been sponsored, you know. I didn't want to just go to, like, every, um, you know, beautiful hotel that was along the way. I wanted to uh, camp out in the wild, and I wanted to, to to have to do it the hard way. You know, for me, it was kind of like um, a rite of passage, like, you know, like in the in, in the TV show, um, um, and, and, and like a, a, sorry, the TV show Black Panther. But it's also what a lot of um, you know tribal African people do as well, which is they go on this rite of passage in order to transition from childhood to adulthood. And so I wanted to do something similar, um, but I know that you needed to 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 kind of suffer in order to to see the glory.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think um, you sort of said it so spot on in that respect. And so from Cape town, you're moving up the East coast, you're moving into all sorts of desolate places along the way after sort of leaving the major cities. How was the first sort of few weeks starting out for you?
1: Um, so the second day, you know, um, these kids actually came in, they, they stole my wallet. And, um, so, that, you know, that was, uh, I was a huge bummer <laughs> because I thought, well, at least it happened, uh, earlier than later, but, um, you know, they took enough money where it really put a dent into my, uh, into my, um, expedition, but it also transitioned me from going you know, to, you know, like, cause I had enough money saved for at least, uh, half of that expedition. And then the other half was, you know, um, uh, donated or people helped me, um, or, or getting like uh, free accommodation. Um, so a lot of those things kind of like sustained me and, you know, the, the kid stealing my wallet was really a way for me to, 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 it forced me to, um, to become friendly with people and to like, you know, to introduce myself to random strangers and to people who don't even speak uh, the language that I speak.
0: I think at the start, that's very sort of challenging to break out of the mold that you're comfortable yeah. with in other places to sort of almost break free into what you really want. And that is to just be yourself, to just be open, to be vulnerable. In a sense As you move. I
1: mean, I I feel like you you have to throw yourself into these situations. Um, You know, a lot of people will probably like say, oh, I'm not ready for this or I need to slowly develop some skills. I have to like hype myself. No, you just you're never going to get it if you do it this way. You just have to literally throw yourself and go through a lot of mistakes. And through those mistakes is how you learn.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And so from there, you're sort of moving up the East coast, you've been robbed on your second day. And then, (laughs) so you're probably thinking, Oh, is this the start of big things or it can only go, it can only get better from here. So how did it sort of go from there?
1: You know what? Um, Psychologically, I, I told myself that this is beyond just one incident. If, if me getting robbed right now is going to stop me or slow me down, I believe that there were so many things ahead of me <laughs> that would challenge me so greatly that, you know, for me, I made it become not a big deal at all. I thought to myself, you know what, um, this is going to be um, a situation that I, I need to be able to to deal with even in the future because I could get robbed halfway through or near the end of, of of, my expedition, I can get shot at, I can get arrested, I can you know a lot of these different things can happen and they have happened. And so I need to prepare my mind. If I wasn't ready that time on the second day, then there's no way that I would have continued going on um, you know, moving forward.
0: And uh sort of moving up, did you have issue other issues in South Africa? I mean food, yeah. water?
1: So you know there were definitely a food and water um, shortages. Remember, I'm 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 quite new to all of this, right? So I'm like literally learning all of this on the spot, like like as I'm walking. I'm like, oh man, like I'm like googling and YouTubing literally as I'm walking, how to do certain things, um, how to tie knots, how to how to make sure that you know you you retain as much water as possible, um, you know, and. These are the only reason I learned those things on the spot is because I didn't realize that you have to know certain things before I went on the expedition. Like, there's only so much that people can give you tips on or that you can learn, um, you know, within nine months. And so there are things that happened that I didn't even know that I needed to do, like, you know, how to collect, um, you know, uh, how, to, how to catch fish, how to collect prawns. Um, you know, scra- uh, scraping oysters, you know, all those different kinds of things like that. So, like getting shells and um, digging at the top of beaches to see if there's any fresh water, um, filtering water without a, a water filter, like all these different things were a challenge that I had to learn on the spot. And again, South Africa was a really good place to learn this because I am... Um, I went to the country that was, to me, the most um, inviting in terms of, you know, there's a lot of people who are speaking English, it has like a very Euro-Africa vibe, and, you know, for the large part of it, it's actually quite developed, especially along the coast. And so, for me, I was, I kind of like was able to make a lot of these mistakes. So, you know, I ran into a few snakes, like a puff adder and a black mamba snake, you know, those things, like the black mamba snake on the side of the road, I thought was a massive um, car tire, like, a tr- you know, from the, from the trucks. And, um, you know, I started to approach this thing, and it was just like this long, black, slithering thing. And I'm just like, oh, it's just uh, part of a tire. And all of a sudden, it started, like, moving towards me. And I'm like, what the actual heck is going on? And, um, you know... Obviously, it didn't get me because I'd be dead right now, but, you know, I was able to avoid um, uh, getting bit by or attacked by a black mamba snake. I stepped on puff fatter snakes. I've uh, met elephants and, you know, I've met some uh, some people who weren't very welcoming to me, you know, um, in, in uh, places where I would camp out in the wild. So it was, yeah, it was a really um, intense experience. But I think the most dangerous parts were really like crossing the dozens and dozens of rivers that I've had to cross. That to me was the most dangerous. We're talking about like crocodile, you know, uh, up the stream, and and then like sharks doing figure eights, waiting out, out on the shores uh, for, the, for, the, for the fresh for the fresh uh, fish to come out. So it was just really like a very um, it's a very surreal and very harsh experience at the beginning but it really toughened me up for the rest of the journey
0: for people who aren't uh, sort of familiar with the geography of the east coast you sort of went south africa swaziland is that right and then into yeah. and then up that sort of route into mozambique
1: yeah so i went up uh, i stayed along the east um yeah i stayed along the east coast and Basically, I tried to stay on the beach on the coastal line as much as possible. There were parts along the trans sky or the wild coast that, um, it was kind of nearly impossible for me to, to traverse. Well, not impossible, but I needed like rope climbing gear and and all that kind of stuff, which I didn't have, um, or like a mini boat. And from there I crossed over into Mozambique. Yeah.
0: And what was the, because, um, You'll have to forgive me, but they, at the moment, I think are in a sort of civil war at the moment. And so what was the reception you sort of got when you arrived,
1: because this is going back quite
0: a few years. And I usually, as you say, when you sort of go into these places, there's a sort of fear and anticipation, but sometimes the locals are usually very sort of open and welcoming to to Mm. sort of people that arrive. What was the reception that you got in Mozambique?
1: So when I arrived into Mozambique, I, you know, it was, it was incredibly warming. These people were so incredibly hospitable. It was kind of like my first real experience of, of like black Africans, um, really inviting me into their homes. Um, I didn't really have that much of a reception from black Africans in South Africa, um. There is this thing, you know, called xenophobia in which where, you know, um, South Africans um, were, you know, feeling threatened of other African uh, people coming in and taking their jobs uh, and working for a lot of the, um, the white South Africans. And um, because there's this, this mistrust between them. Right. And so they seek uh um, um they seek workers from from outside of South Africa. And so I you know I, I'm one of the, I look like I could be one of those people. like maybe I'm Mozambican or or something like that. But what made Mozambique really an incredible experience was a yes, first of all, the people were incredibly hospitable, friendly. It was one of the first places where I actually got to um, sleep in uh, in communities and in people's homes that were random strangers that I just met right there on the streets. That never happened in South Africa. And so that was a really incredible experience. And when I made it to Maputo, which is the capital of Mozambique, um, they actually did like a full, like a seven-minute series of me um, in Portuguese, which was really cool. Um, So the whole country got to see this crazy guy who's walking um, the length of Africa. And as soon as that came out, you know, I was, like, really popular on the road. People would, like, honk their cars. People would literally, every five minutes, people would stop their car, take a selfie, and uh, carry on. Um, There would be people in villages, like, literally random villages, would come out and say, like, good morning, Mr. Rigby. And I'd be like, what the heck is going on right now? Like, who would have ever thought that you would just, like, wake up in the middle of a village and they all know you? And, you know... Um, and also another thing too, is I, and I, 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 you know, forgive me for forgetting his name, but the former, um, president of, of Mozambique, who was the one who, who made Mozambique independent, apparently me and him looked very similar with my beard out and I had a gap, you know, gap tooth. And so that former president, he looked very similar to me. So people would either stop me because of that, or they would stop me because I look like their former president. (laughs)
0: That probably worked quite nicely in your favor. Yeah, it did. And so sort of going around there, you sort of speak passionately about Mozambique. Is there sort of an amazing moment that you can recall from that sort of time there? Like from one of the locals inviting you in? A sort of moment that you sort of cherish?
1: Um, you know, there were a lot of those kinds of moments. Um like like it's it's more about choosing which moment, <laughs> um, you know, like I could talk about like a random village where um, like this matriarchal community uh, invited me into their homes um, and, you know, like completely random strangers. And the compound is like, you know, full of women. Um, and, and they trusted me and they brought me into their home. And I was able to pitch my tent on this like beautiful compound that's just like like, you know, with this beautiful, rich Mozambican soil. And I remember we had a um, a dinner and we, you know, we had this fire circle and the whole family was there and it was just so peaceful. And you look up into the sky and you just see, you just see the Milky Way in like the clearest possible form. You could see it like with all its like insane stars, just like billions of them just shining right down at you. And so you feel so connected, not just to, you know, our galaxy, to the universe, but also to other people who are complete random strangers. But it made you feel like, you know, we're not random strangers. We are all in this together. We've just kind of on this planet separated ourselves and forgotten that we all come from, you know, the same family.
0: Very true. And then as you sort of made your way through Mozambique, you had a a little incident with a truck. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So what ended up happening was, um, I got picked up by, um, Mozambican government, uh, soldiers, and they essentially forced me into the back of their military truck because there is this zone in which you cannot cross. And so you know, I needed transport to go um, from uh, across this this uh, conflict zone, which is about a hundred hundred kilometers or so. And you know, this this convoy um, was going through, and they picked me up, and we're moving like really fast on this road. This this beautiful road, palm trees on the side. But what makes it surreal is that you know it was during. Um, The sunset but what made it really surreal was like it was just so beautiful and then you could see like cars that were just recently blown up and just like smoke coming like chimneys the chimneys like smoke chimneys everywhere um but those were like little villages that were being burned or cars that were being burned um or bullet holes everywhere it was just like what is going on and i remember like all of a sudden you know the truck stops and then we hear, like, uh, well, first, we hear the AK-47 bullets, like, pop, 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 The truck stops, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, like, what is going on right now? This is, like, not, this is not where I'm, what I signed up for. And um, so, what happened was these villagers were shooting at us who are, you know, um, they've joined forces with Renamo, which is the, um, you know, a faction of the government that's gone, basically, you um, you know, fighting against the the, the official government. And um, so Renamo's forces were shooting at us because they thought we were all military, right? The, I look kind of like a military and I'm on a military truck. So they're firing at us and then they started firing back and this lasted for about 20 minutes. And I ended up recording this entire incident. Um, well, not the entire incident, but definitely like the first part of it. Um yeah, just from my from my phone and I did it in the back of the truck, realized that, okay, they could just RPG this truck because I saw all these other trucks that were blown up. So I jumped out of the truck and started recording from the tall grass where I hid and started recording this entire incident.
0: Wow. Luckily, they didn't think you're the ex-president.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, then maybe I, w- I, w- I would have been actually saved because that, that president was actually loved by both sides.
0: I oh, really, he was sort of holding the country together in a sense.
1: Yeah. He, he was the first one to make uh, Mozambique an independent country. So everywhere you go, there's like a statue or something of him.
0: Oh, wow. Amazing. And so from that sort of very, uh, er, well mixed, you know, amazing times and sort of quite hairy times, you sort of moved your way up. Probably then into sort of Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Kenya area.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I missed uh, Zimbabwe. I was supposed to go into Zimbabwe, but instead I decided to go up towards Malawi and from Malawi um, that's where I decided to kayak because that lake goes from South to North. And I thought to myself, this is a perfect opportunity to, um, you know, to go up this, this lake and really experience proper indigenous and remote places that most people have never been to before or places where people have literally never seen a foreigner before, um, uh, particularly children. Um, And so, yeah, I went through Malawi and then from Malawi, I crossed over into Tanzania.
0: And so from uh, Malawi, you, as you said, you decide to kayak up, that's quite a Mm. long route for anyone listening. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it took me two months to kayak.
0: That's an incredible feat. And <laughs> how did this sort of canoe sort of come about? Did you just buy one or?
1: Yeah. So, um, it was funny because I was, uh, I met this, um, Italian guy and, um, he, uh, his name is Francesco and he was, uh, an incredible, um, An incredible friend, really good friend. And, um, you know, we met at a hostel in Mozambique in Maputo. And we met about a couple of weeks afterwards in another another town. Uh, He was already there for two weeks, but it took me two weeks to get there by foot, right? So by the time I got there, he's like, oh, yeah, like, I just remember you're doing this walking thing. And, um, so I arrived and, and we became really close and he suggested, he's like, Hey, listen, um, why don't like you try kayaking and I will walk Malawi. So this guy, so we decided to switch it up. So, you know, instead of me walking Malawi, um, I decided to kayak Malawi, which was actually already part of the plan. So the original plan for crossing Africa was to, to walk, paddle, and sail across the continent. But I ended up just walking and kayaking, which is way harder. But Because um, <laughs> the sailing part, I could have just sailed the entire part, right? Um, and so he was walking the length of it, and I was kayaking. And we, we would cross paths once in a while. But I would always be a few days ahead of him because it was just better in a straight line to go. In a single direction, when he had to like crisscross and 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 go through uh, over mountains and whatnot, so there were a lot of times where I was in jams and and he was able to help me get out of it.
0: (laughs) God, that's incredible! And so you're sort of paddling around, and then what? Just sort of camping on the beach as you sort of get head on up, picking up supplies along the way. And then- yeah,
1: so I would, yeah, I would do it that way. So like, there were times where I would buy like, I would have like twenty bananas with me, like you know, like mini bananas, like already like they're all like still attached to, this, to the, to to the stump or whatever, um, and you know, dried foods. There weren't really that many selections of food um, throughout Malawi, and particularly in the places that I went to, just because you know, poverty is is a real thing over there. Um, for some uh, particularly remote areas. And, um, you know, the World Bank ranked Malawi as one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, Whether that's true or not, it's definitely evident that, you know, I had, you know, on that, like in Malawi itself, I lost the most amount of weight because I could only eat what the local people eat, right? So I would, like, there's no way, I'm not driving in a truck where I can store a bunch of stuff, and um and eat that but no I, I was literally just eating whatever the locals would be eating um and sometimes even like alcohol was like my fuel because that was all some of the villages had um so i would i would do that too and um and then there i would pitch my my kayak in so many different places like little islands um rocky islands uh beaches marshlands which are the most dangerous because you never know if a crocodile or a hippo is going to come at come at you, and I've had to sleep next to, to hippos before, so that was that was a, a, an experience on its own. Um, or you might just uh, you know pitch your kayak in a place that you know where people just really aren't really nice to 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 foreigners or strangers, um, or they might worship you. You know I don't know it, it can go either way. <laughs> You never know. It's like rolling dice.
0: It's it's that thing. Sometimes people are afraid of what's, what they don't know. And so someone rocking up in a kayak, never done, but probably very rarely done would be like, what, why is this guy? here?"
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They would, they would question. Um, so superstition is like a real thing. And so they would question like, why? You know, why are you doing these things? Um, we've never seen, you know, someone that looks like you doing these kinds of, uh, expeditions before, or they wouldn't even call it expedition. But We've never seen anyone that looks like you doing, uh, these kinds of sporting adventures.
0: Amazing. And so from there did, um, did your friend carry on with you? Or at the end of uh, Lake Malawi, did he call it a day and you carried on then up?
1: No, he actually, um, we crossed uh, into the border together and as we got closer um, to the border, we ended up picking up friends along the way. So we've had, um, there were times where we've had like three other people join us. So there was at least um, six of us at one point. Um, And, it's funny because, you know, we ended up, you know, sometimes reaching, uh, places at different times, but then we would stay together for a week. Like for instance, in, um, uh, this, this kind of like backpacker in, in Malawi. And, um, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, falling for this one girl and she decided to just join him. So she joined him while he's joining me on my expedition And, um, they ended up falling in love and, and she carried all the way through. So she walked for about, um, uh, a week and a half across, uh, Malawi. Um, and they, you know, funny enough, they ended up marrying last year, actually. (laughs) So, you know, it was, it was really a match made in heaven, really.
0: Well, there's a story for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like a separate story within the story. It's, it's pretty incredible.
0: God, that's, that's amazing to hear. And, uh, and then, yeah. So you're sort of moving on from Lake Malawi into where are you going from there? You're going into Tanzania or.
1: So, yeah. So I crossed over into Tanzania. This is where I suffered probably the most amount of um, pain. So I've already lost a lot of weight. Malawi is really um, known for malaria. And uh, particularly cerebral malaria, and uh, a lot of the people there, particularly the children, they, they suffer from tuberculosis and malaria, um, you know, AIDS infections and stuff like that. And so there's this really um, it's a really uh, high death rate in amongst uh the youth in in, in rural areas where medical remote medical units can't reach. However, that's changing, I think, quickly, and then there's a lot more support, but it's still pretty bad. And so, I actually, I uh, contracted malaria, um, cerebral malaria, which is the worst kind that you can get, and it was so bad. And I remember crossing the border. um, I happened to cross the border at the same time that um, there were these two German girls who I met at the same hostel where um, Francesco had met uh, his love, <laughs> and um, you know, I, you know, we were hanging out. I wasn't like we weren't like we didn't know each other for too long, but you know, we were happy that we had crossed the border together. And I started to feel, you know, a little bit woozy, and you know, there were nurses, so they said, like, "Hey, listen, I think you have malaria. We need to take you to the hospital." So they ended up taking me to the hospital, taking care of me. Um, we ended up actually spending over a week together. Um, they made sure that I was okay, making sure that um, you know that I wasn't like passing out and, and getting the, the proper medical care. They even uh, made sure that they communicated with my mom and everything like that. So it was again that's that was a really really scary moment where I thought that yeah my life was like kind of. It was just like almost like a flash, like it was just like withering away in the most painful possible way.
0: Good. And so, what you rested up just on the outskirts, well, yeah, just on the edge of Tanzania before sort of, and what? So, it must have taken you quite a few weeks to sort of recover from that to sort of persevere on.
1: It did actually. And so, in those three weeks, um, I decided to. To, to call it off for a bit just for um just for a few weeks and um I ended up going uh detouring to Zanzibar and Zanzibar is on the coast so um but my walk was actually through the middle of Tanzania and so I decided to to go to to um to Zanzibar for a bit and it was really such a magical experience. Like Zanzibar is just this beautiful lush island that has so much history with, you know, the Ottoman Empire, like Omani people who ruled there, and then there's like the East African slave trade that that, that happened there too, and there's a lot, you can see there's a lot of evidence of trade between India, uh, the Middle East, the Chinese, the British, et cetera, et cetera, so it was really like an incredible um, cultural um, experience, but also just a leisure like just chilling out, right, so it's like a good time for me to chill off from getting shot at um <laughs> from getting arrested and from uh getting malaria, so i just needed I needed a, a break
0: yeah, well, you're sort of near the equator now, you're sort of heading up towards Tanzania and Kenya. was it quite sort of quick through there i mean, how did you sort of find
1: what mm hmm so Tanzania was actually the quickest, um uh, well so actually sorry, Kenya was the quickest country I, I crossed. Uh Tanzania was started to get pretty quick too. Um as as soon as I got out of Malawi and, and further along the road in um in Tanzania, it was really they had a very uh, one simple road that went through Tanzania. And then that road connected also in Kenya and um and that's where I I think through Kenya was the quickest walk that I've done in, I think, any other country. Just because, like, there was so much infrastructure already there. Like, you could go from one guest house to the next. You don't even have to think about it. Like, to me, you know, coming from what I've already come from, it was, it was like, oh, my God, there's a guest house. <laughs> this is super easy for me now. Um, you know, of course, there were parts where, like, in Mars a bit, which is a desert, um, where it was actually quite difficult um to still traverse and you still needed to 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 do some proper survival um uh things in order to 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 traverse those parts.
0: And were you going uh, sort of the Naivasha and the or are you going up the coast towards sort of Diani, Mombasa, Malindi, that sort of route?
1: No, I went through the middle and so I had to cross um I actually had to cross uh, Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya. And as I crossed Mount Kenya, I actually ended up climbing up Mount Kenya. So that was like a, another uh, really cool experience as well. In fact, Africa is like the first place where I actually learned how to uh, climb mountains. I climbed the first mountain in Malawi, the second mountain um, in, in Kenya.
0: Oh wow! No, it's a—it's an incredible uh, sort of around that sort of place, like uh, Lakipia and Anuki. It's uh, sort of just very sort of yeah. beautiful scenery, and you must have got some incredible sunsets and sunrises oh, as you walk yeah. through.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could tell you the best sunsets in uh, in in uh, Eastern Africa <laughs> for sure.
0: What in Kenya?
1: Well, I would say, yeah, Kenya is really nice. Uh, I would say the most beautiful sunsets I've seen um, were in um, the trans sky, uh, close to Mozambique, uh, in Malawi and Mozambique, probably. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just where um, Africa is situated in those regions. It's just like kind of like, you know, close, like south of the uh, of the equator you realize the sunsets are, are slightly different than, than what's in, in the north of the equator.
0: Yeah. that's uh, it's really interesting. And what must have been quite strange is going from Kenya into, I imagine it's either Somalia or Sudan, South Sudan to sort of a complete change of culture, c- uh, scenery, more, it was becoming probably more and more desolate desert area. Baron, mm. is that how you found before.
1: it yeah so before I, I i i got into uh sudan it was I- ethiopia right oh and sorry ethiopia, yeah
0: ethiopia yeah
1: and ethiopia was actually incredibly populated and i think ethiopia was the first place where i had major culture shock um it was just so much like you know i'm going into restaurants and you know i met this group of <clears throat> these local women and they're literally feeding me food with their hands and stuffing it in my mouth, you know? And, um, I've been with some, uh, I've hung out with like, these rebel, these rebel, um, soldiers, former soldiers, um, who fought the regime. You know, it was just like, uh, this regime who fought the, the government, sorry. And they were, um, you know, camping with me, uh, just because they thought it was, it was such a cool story of what I'm doing that they wanted to join me for a couple of days, and so we did. And um, you know, this this grown man who has like a gun in in one hand, he has a gun in one hand, and in the other hand, he's eating the food and he's feeding me this food. <laughs> and I was just like, you can't even make this stuff up, man. This is <laughs> next <nightmare."> level. <laughs>
0: I know with his left hand, is that?
1: Um, uh, let's see. He had his um, left hand with the uh, gun, and then oh, the yeah. right hand was beating me. Uh.
0: <laughs> so, anyone you had a left hand?
1: I even have a video of him. Um, you know, I can't wait to put all the footage together and 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 put something out there for everyone to see. But there's a there's footage of him actually uh, laughing, kind of like a hyena. Um, cause, uh, he had smoked marijuana for the first time of which I don't know where I got the marijuana from, but you know, I gave it to him. I'm like, why not? Why not give a rebel soldier with a gun in his hand in a tent in the middle of nowhere, some marijuana and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it ended up being really fun though.
0: he obviously loved it.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and then, yeah. So you're, you're now sort of moving up Ethiopia. You, are you've had a bit of a shock into that, but did you find South Sudan was a bit more of a culture shock?
1: Um, so it was, it's actually, um, so Northern Sudan, um, so Southern Sudan, I couldn't get into, it was just too, it was just too bad. Like it was just bombarded with civil conflict. Um, so i wasn't really allowed to to go into there i i could but then i wouldn't be able to get into the other countries so uh, you know uh, some of the the moves were strategic if it was if i could have it my way i would have gone through somalia uh via kenya on the coast so but i couldn't go on the coast so i had to merge um inland um which then took me to ethiopia um because it's uh you know landlocked um because it's like Eritrea is what takes the, the coast. So I would have gone Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, um, South Sudan, and then Sudan. But I couldn't have done those, um, those trips. So I did Ethiopia straight into um, Sudan, um, which is Sharia law. Yeah. And, you know, it was my first kind of Sharia law experience. In fact, the first day that I, I made it up, I was wearing shorts and I was, uh, stopped by some special agents who, uh, literally made me right on the spot, change my, uh, my pants to long pants.
0: And what was your experience in Sudan like moving up?
1: Whew. Well, Sudan shocked me, but in a different way that Ethiopia did. Ethiopia shocked me because it was just so overwhelmingly, you know, culture, cultural, um, but Sudan was overwhelming in terms of how hospitable and how beautiful the people were. It was probably one of the most um, inviting places I've ever been to in my life. Everywhere you go, everyone's trying to like accommodate you, feed you, whatever you need, and um, it, it, yeah, it was such a it was such a crazy, beautiful experience to be there. Um, but I would say those were the small pockets of my experience. The larger pockets were just open desert, <laughs> like we're talking, like the White Desert. Um, and uh, walking from Khartoum to or Khartoum to um, to um, uh, Moyale uh, up to the White Desert was probably one of the the loneliest walks as well. Like there is a highway, but it's just surrounding with with desolate, desolate land. And the, the places that saved me really were just gas stations. Right. So there would be like these kind of like makeshift gas stations along the way. And they always had food. They always had something. So, and if they weren't available at the time, then you, you know, they'd be around the next day.
0: Yeah. It's, um, and I suppose that training that you did in South Africa, water, replenishing all sorts to stop the sort of dehydration must have come in handy by now.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah.
0: And as you sort of moved up, what was your sort of feelings like, because you've probably been going now for a year and a half or so
1: about a year and a half. Yeah.
0: And so are, are you sort of still with that huge sense after a year and a half with that enthusiasm that you had at the start? Or as you come to the end, is it more like, I just need to complete this?
1: I never felt like I just need to complete this because there was always something incredibly interesting coming ahead. I mean, Ethiopia in itself was insanely interesting. Um, In fact, I'm always like, oh man, I, I want to stay longer, but you know, I have a mission. Um, I felt the same way in Sudan. I, I felt, I wish I could see more of the pyramids There are over 200 pyramids. There are more pyramids there than there are in Egypt. Um, And some of them predate a lot of the pyramids in Egypt. So um, I was able to visit archaeological sites that were over 3,000 years old. I got to see ancient temples and, you know, places that not a lot of people get to see or, you know, uh, or a lot of places that people haven't even heard of that, that they don't even know exist. But these are like major ancient societies that have existed and we know nothing about them. To me, that, that, that just like blew my mind. And I could just walk freely in these compounds where there's like huge marble slabs of statues and, um, there's no security, there's no entrance fees. It's just this open place. (laughs) Um, and so I decided, so I was literally camping along the way in these ancient sites Um, so there was always something interesting to see and to experience, and it was always different. And that's kind of the beauty about, um, about Africa is that, you know, uh, there are some, you know, homogenous communities, of course, but they're also slightly different, um, in the sense that like the terrain changes, um, there's a lot of, you know, I started from this, from the most Southern tip of Africa to the, to, to, to the North, and there are varying um, climate um, and weather uh, patterns that change throughout that time, but also the seasons change. So I'm literally walking through seasons and I'm walking up and the temperature is getting like hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter, or it's changing to something else. I got to the point where the temperature was like 50 degrees, which is mind-bogglingly hot. And we're talking like, you know, like, my, I think I had wet clothes and they dried within like a couple of minutes. That's how hot it was. It was incredible. So yeah, no, it, it keeps you busy and I never really felt like I wanted to completely end it until I made it near the end of Egypt. That's kind of where I started to feel like, okay, I need to really, I need to finish this now.
0: And say, so where did you finish and what was the sort of feelings like? as you came to the end.
1: So ideally I wanted to finish in Alexandria, um, because that's just on the coast. I wanted to go from water to water, but, you know, it was good enough for me to be like, um, South Africa to Egypt. (laughs) I don't have to like specifically go to the, (laughs) to the coast. And also, you know, I ended up making it to, um, to to Cairo sorry to to um uh sorry what's it called to Cairo um where are the pyramids (laughs) Cairo uh yes in Cairo but it's a place within Cairo Cairo, um uh anyways so uh forgive the the name forgetting but oh so I made it to Giza and by the time I made it to Giza, I, you know, I thought to myself, like, this is where the journey ends. It's just so spectacular. The fact that, you know, there's these ancient pyramids that have been around for like 4,000 years and they're just like so dominant. Um, I ended up just booking a hostel there that overlooks the pyramids from a roof deck. And I said to myself, this is the place where I'm going to end my journey.
0: There are moments when you're sort of doing these sort of point to point trips where even just before you find that sort of euphoric place, which just has the fitting end to it. And you had that there. I mean, I imagine it was boiling hot. You're sort of, as you say, on this sort of outskirts of Cairo.
1: It was quite busy. So Cairo is a very aggressively um, busy um, city. You know, it, it, it can be very overwhelming if you're not used to that. And I wasn't really, I'm coming from like really quiet villages, you know, like I'm, I'm walking through because I'm walking along the river Nile at this point now from Sudan. So starting from the white desert is when I started to follow the river Nile, and, um, I made it all the way up until, uh, until Giza where it just got really intensely busy. Like, you know, people just like selling you things and, you know, trying to haggle you. And, you know, it's just, you know, especially old Cairo, old Cairo is, is, is incredibly busy. It's a, such an ancient city that's built on top of a, another ancient city. That's just like a new city's on top of the old city. It's, it's really, it's really intense, um, to, to, to be there, but me being in, uh, in Giza, um, at this hostel overlooking the pyramids was actually one of the more peaceful places that I could have gone to.
0: And a fitting end to finish your South to North
1: Africa trip. hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Sort of from that, I mean, you've gone on to sort of do these incredible you know, trips from cycling across Canada, and you've got more on the horizon, as we spoke about before the podcast. And you know, when those happen, we'll sure you, sure you get you back. But it has been such an incredible story that you've just told.
1: Hmm. Um, the story across Africa.
0: Yeah, yeah, that story.
1: <laughs> yeah, that <one. laughs> um. So yeah, I mean. I, sometimes I reflect and I look back, um, actually yesterday, um, I think I, I looked at a photo, um, and and it was just like a random photo, you know, that came up on my reminders or like a memory, uh, thing on, on Google. And, um, I was thinking like, wow, that, that time, I, I remember the feeling that I had when I was in that place. And that feeling was just like that overwhelming, um, that euphoric feeling of like, you know, we're all together in this on earth. And and, and that feeling of that earth is such a, is a home. Like it really feels like a home. And when you have that feeling, you don't want to exploit people or land, or you don't want to hoard things for yourself. You want to share. And this is a feeling an experience that I want everyone to feel. And I think it's just for the goodness of yourself, because I think you can, you know, feeling gratitude is always a great feeling, but it's also something that, um, that transmits to, to other people that you interact with and hopefully that can spread. And I don't know, feel like the world could be a great place that way.
0: So very true. So very true. Well, Mario, thank you so much for uh, coming on today. I mean, there's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week.
1: All okay. right.
0: Uh, with the first being, what was the one gadget that you always take on these sort of expeditions?
1: Um, a duct tape, a knife, and a rope.
0: Okay. A rope for yeah, the,
1: well, the rope, yeah, what's that for? Yeah, um, so you'd be surprised. <laughs> Actually, you know, every time I have to use the rope, I'm like, man, I'm so happy I brought this. <laughs> I mean, it could be anything like, um, you could be scaling uh, a cliff, for instance, and my backpack would be too large, so I would just tie a rope and then I would lift the backpack from the top of the hill. Um, I used the rope for tying it around my waist and, um, uh, an inflatable, um, kind of floaty where I put my backpack in and that's how I crossed rivers. Um, or I would use it for, I would use it for, um, uh, for lining my clothes for laundry. I would use it for all different kinds of things. Really? Like, I mean, yeah.
0: No, oh, there you go. Always bring a yeah. rope.
1: Always bring a rope. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, so I brought a rope, especially on my kayaking um, trips as well, because then you could, you know, you could carry things and float, it'll float behind you. Um, it's just, there's so many uses for it. Um, duct tape as well for blisters, um, for sealing um, torn clothes or, or you know, um, the tent, for sealing the tent that has any ripped parts to it and then of course the knife is self explanatory you need that for um, survival purposes
0: yeah a knife is always uh pretty pretty important i always think on these sort of trips
1: oh yeah uh what
0: about your favorite adventure or travel book
1: so i mean i was reading uh the book um what's it called again um Oh, very popular, a small book. Everyone read it, The Alchemist. Uh, yeah, It was a really interesting story because it was kind of like how I was going through this adventure, which is, you know, it's just a very innocent uh, lead up into the adventure. And then that led to like all these amazing and beautiful experiences that led to, um, to lessons that I, I learned along the way.
0: What would you say a uh, really important? What was the one lesson? Do you feel that you took from that trip?
1: That I think humanity is innately, I think we're all inherently good before we're bad. We're taught to be bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I probably agree. agree with that. Um, why are these adventures important to you?
1: I think so. They're important to me because you know humanity's always needed to explore and either you have it in your blood to explore or you, or you or you don't and you know in me like i just ever since i was a kid as i explained earlier um you know i was just kind of like a wild child going out into the into the bush and and learning how to to survive out there um but you know we need a new narrative of exploration and we need to put ourselves on the map so that we can show that there is diversity in the exploration world so that we can show that people can look different ways. You know, um, gone are the times where, you know, the white European goes to Africa and and says and exploits the people um, in a way that shows that, um, you know, African people are not, um useful knowledgeable or have anything to share with us i think african people have so much to share and i've learned so much about humanity um and i think that if we come together and we share our knowledge and experiences the world would be such a we would we would progress so incredibly fast you know knowledge and wisdom come together
0: yeah, I think uh, we have Benedict Allen on, and you know, he this sort of, as you say, we, the move away from the sort of past exploration to the sort of new is about sort of just learning and understanding rather than yeah. exploiting in a sense. And so, or conquering, yeah. yeah, that sort of sense, but the sort of sense of you just sort of learn. So many different things. As you say, he went out to Papua New Guinea and he was there with um, this tribe in the middle of the rainforest that no one's really ever seen. And with it, he just went there and didn't go with any sort of expectation or knowledge of them. And from it, mm. all he wanted to do was just learn. He just wanted to mm. understand. He wasn't going there to say, oh, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this. It was just mm. observing. And then sort of yeah. seeing different parts of it.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love to hear those stories and I, and I'm really, um, and I love how the exploration world is, is, is changing in, into that mindset now. Like I'm seeing a lot more women explorers as well. And that's great to see that, um, you know, I'm not saying that they've been given opportunities, but they're taking the opportunities and, and that's, and that's a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. What about your favorite quote?
1: Um, get out, be brave and see the world. (laughs) Who said that? I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure who said that. (laughs) Get out, be brave and see the world. I don't know. I could have made it up. I don't know, but I mean, you can double check it, but. Uh, I, I I
0: can put your name below it if you like. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you could. Yeah. I mean, I'm, hold on. Let me search it right now. Real quick, <laughs> get out, be brave and see the world. Cause I'm, I'm one of those people that like, I always say, um, I always say these kinds of things and you know, people say like, "Whoa, that's a great quote. And i and I forget every single time.
0: Yeah. I know what you mean. You sort of see a quote, forget about it. And then you sort of reel it off yeah. like it was your own. And you're like, I don't think I may, I, I think I might've just read that somewhere.
1: (laughs) Uh, well, I don't see it anywhere. Um,
0: okay. Well, there we go. Uh, Brand new. quote. Yeah.
1: It might be. Yeah. It might be. Oh, wait, I do see it. However, guess what? It's a photo of me. (laughs) (laughs) Someone, someone put a photo of me with literally just that quote. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so funny.
0: Well, there you go. your uh, Your own personal quote.
1: Yeah. So that is, that it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, then I, you know, I don't feel bad. Like it's just whatever it's what's important is that we share that sentiment.
0: Mm. For people listening, what's the one piece of advice you would give them for, you know, people wanting to do what you've done.
1: Um, I think, you know, in order to do what you really love to do, you're going to have to take a, a, a leap of faith, you know, and you have to trust in this leap, hence the faith. And the people around you are most likely going to be against what you want to do, because they themselves are afraid of, of jumping into this, this, this frontier that is unknown. It's not taught to us in school. And so if this is something you want to do, look outside of the parameters of what school education um, tells you how to learn, tells you what to do. You know, look outside of the general wisdom of your, of your of your friends and family. And look at the wisdom and knowledge of the people that you really admire, look at what they say and really take their words to heart. Even me saying this right now, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> and that truth is, you know, you have to take a leap of faith. You have to take a risk. And that risk is just something not a lot of people are willing to do. And that's why the few people who do do those things that they love to do are rewarded tremendously for it. You know, whether that's through life experience or wealth or just basically just the love of doing that. That's something you can only get if you take that big risk.
0: You have to sit. Sorry.
1: There, sorry. Yeah. And I was going to add to that too. There's no perfect timing. There's literally no such thing as perfect timing. Um, if you feel completely underprepared, that's probably the perfect time. <laughs> If you feel super scared and you have anxiety, that's probably the perfect time. What matters the most is going through with it and seeing it to the end.
0: Trust in the process.
1: That's it. Trust the process.
0: And Mario, how can, uh, people follow you and, uh, your adventures and whatever you're doing next?
1: Well, I'm quite active on uh, social media. So, um, Instagram which is at Mario Rigby. Um, you can follow me on on Facebook or on my website, which is www.mariorigby.com. And there I have, um, uh, you know, I have um, basically ex- all my expeditions laid out in detail in blog form as well. So I've also written a lot of blogs and you'll see a lot of the uh, videos that I've uploaded onto YouTube. That's all on my website. Um, or you can go on my YouTube, but, um, at the moment right now, Instagram, YouTube are my two biggest, um, platforms.
0: And I suppose everyone listening is wondering what's next.
1: <laughs> well, what's next is, uh, you know, I'm kind of supposed to keep it a secret, but I can vaguely tell you that there might be a TV show coming up, and that's going to be pretty epic. Because, you know, it's doing what I really love to do. And it's, again, about, like, just really highlighting diversity in exploration. Um, And then there's going to be some sailing around the world because I have some expeditions coming up in the near future where I want to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. And so, you know, I'll be doing some training this year. Uh, And... um, an expedition called the Lucayan trail expedition, which is a traverse of the Bahama islands. um, You know, retracing the the roots and the history of the Lucayan people, which have been wiped out and I'll be kayaking the entire length of the Bahamas um, from Turks and Caicos to Miami using purely only the kayak.
0: Amazing. Well, I'm sure everyone listening will be following along and checking out your Instagram and youtube seen those videos that you've been talking about on the podcast
1: yeah well Well, i hope so thank you so much for for showing that
0: oh no worries well it's been such a pleasure listening to your stories and i can't thank you enough for coming on today really
1: well thank you john and um thank you all for listening
0: thank you for listening you can watch it on youtube now and don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast if you've listened on apple I hope to see you next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures.